Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. WABC New York and 1071 WLIR Hampton Bays. It's the 77 WABC News Hour. Talking the news with Noah Layden. All the news you need to know with Joe Nolan, Traffic, Justin Ellick, Sports. And now, talking the news with Noah on 77 WABC. Yep, that's me, 5 o'clock. Good morning. It is Thursday, January 25th. Your forecast from the Ramsey Mazda Weather Center. Going to see some rain this morning and then again this afternoon. Going to be warmer, though. A high 50. Tonight and overnight, showers low 43, and then Friday morning rain, a cloudy afternoon, high 46. If you are walking out the door with us right now, 48 and raining in Riverhead out on Long Island. It is 52 and cloudy in Atlantic City down in New Jersey. And we'll call it 45 and kind of misty here in Midtown. A whole lot to get to as we work our way up 6 o'clock hour. Sid and friends in the morning. What's with this stalker, Taylor Swift stalker, who continues to show up outside her Tribeca townhouse? It's like kind of creepy in the same way that it was with John Lennon and his stalker. Uh, Taylor Swift's accused stalker is in custody for the third time now, just hours after he made a court appearance regarding two other stalking appearances. This is a 33-year-old David Crow. Not really clear why he hasn't been locked up, but he showed up at Swift's Tribeca townhouse 30 times in the past two months. And he was arrested on Saturday and Monday for showing up at her home and charged with stalking and harassment. So he appears in court yesterday on those charges, and they let him go. And then, of course, guess what he does? He takes the subway down to Taylor Swift's Tribeca townhouse, and uh, the neighbors recognize him at this point 30 times in two months. Of course they do. And what is he doing? He starts searching through Taylor Swift's dumpster or the dumpster behind her building. Neighbors recognize him right away. They call 911. He's arrested again for criminal contempt. But I fear that he becomes, was it, which one was uh, John Lennon's murderer? Why am I blanking on his name? Was it um, Mark David Chapman? Mark David Chapman. This guy freaks me out in the same way that Mark David Chapman does. I don't know how many times Chapman showed up outside the Dakotas in, uh, you know, outside Central Park before he shot John Lennon. But what are they waiting for? You know, David Crow has been there 30 times. He's obsessed with Taylor Swift. You have to be able to do something to keep him away from her, no matter what you think of her. I mean, maybe, you know, lots of people feels like she's been overexposed lately. But for her own safety, it just seems bizarre that this guy's able to keep going down and showing up outside her house in really a threatening way. So we'll see what they do with him this time. Uh, bullets flew last night. A man wanted in connection with a 2022 robbery inside a Brooklyn church. He was shot dead last night by U.S. Marshals who were trying to arrest him. This was in South Brunswick. He apparently opened fire first 
and these uh, deputies fired back. His name is Shamar Leggett, 41 years old. Now, you might remember this story because it was incredibly violent. Leggett was the one who was wanted in connection for the robbery of Bishop Lamore Whitehead. He showed up in the middle of a church service that was being live streamed last year out of Brooklyn. He and two other guys, the two other guys who were long ago caught, were waving guns at this bishop, Bishop Whitehead. They stole hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of jewelry from him and his wife, and it was all on camera because they were live streaming the church service. Well, last night, the bishop, Bishop Whitehead, speaking out when he heard that this third and last guy had been killed. And now the third suspect is dead. What sense does that make? It's so senseless. And this was the guy that put the gun in my wife's face and put the gun in my eight-month-old daughter's face. So this is the guy that was at large, and he came and put the gun to my head and ripped my clergy collar off and ripped my chains off, and he was just brutal. Now, I should point out Bishop Whitehead has his own issues and problems, but not connected to this story. Legette served two sentences, you won't be shocked to hear, in state prison for robbery and attempted murder long before he showed up during this live stream church service to rip off Bishop Whitehead. The uh, NYPD arresting and charging a 23-year-old man in connection to the rape of a 10-year-old girl. It took place earlier this month. Dracon Drayton Howard, charged with rape, sex abuse, and endangering the welfare of a child, a crime that has just completely shocked the Harlem neighborhood where it took place. That's horrible. I mean, really, it's unbelievable. I can't believe that. For that to happen to her like that is... Ridiculous. So here's the crazy part of the story. Not that the rape of a child isn't crazy enough. Police say Drayton Hauer allegedly met this 10-year-old girl online through Bumble. If you're not familiar with Bumble, it's a dating app that's pretty popular. So how was she able to get on the Bumble? We'll get into that story in just a moment. But apparently, Drayton Howard took this 10-year-old to an apartment on 3rd Avenue, East 122nd Street. And that's apparently where this rape took place. First of all, the man know better. He knows better. He knew it was a child, no matter what app she was on. He deserves whatever he gets. Yeah, so how did this 10-year-old get on Bumble? Bumble says they don't know. You have to be over 18 to use their app. And so everybody's just trying to figure out that part of the story. you got to keep an eye on the kids, what they're watching, what they're doing, yeah, what they're reading, right. what they're looking into. Can't trust nobody these days. Yeah, you do have to. Uh, I mean, you don't know what your kids are looking at at the phone. You got to watch it. The NYPD releasing a photo or surveillance photo, and that was how they were able to catch up. It took two weeks, but they eventually caught up with Drayton Howard. Neighbors living along the Passaic River in Patterson, New Jersey, may actually get some relief from all the flooding. The city of Patterson is taking new action to try and prevent flooding. Mayor Andre Sayas says the city has applied for a federal grant to help build a giant wall along part of the Passaic River to help it from spilling into neighborhoods. You build this wall behind an area that is prone to flooding, and it's it would get us to halfway where, where we need, because there's going to be more flood walls that we have to build. People living on the north side of the city say they need a wall, too. Meantime, officials are hopeful if it gets approved, the wall could go up by the end of the year. I'm Bob Brown for 77 WABC News. Lots of outrage commuters yesterday. New Jersey Transit wants to raise fares by 15% come July 1st, and an additional 3% every year 
after. The fare hike would be on buses and trains and would be the first fare hike since mm, Governor Murphy took office six years ago. New Jersey Transit says they're struggling with a significant drop in ridership since the pandemic began in early 2020. Ridership has only returned to about 80 percent of pre-pandemic levels, and they say that's hurting them big time. A fare reduction, nearly $2 billion they've lost in fare revenue. Now, Riders say, okay, well, you know, that's your problem, but you shouldn't saddle us with that. It's upsetting because that's going to affect my travel. I'm probably going to ask friends for rides or, I don't know, maybe take an Uber. They should have better train service on time. A lot of, lot of delays. New Jersey Transit received billions of dollars in federal aid uh, the, during the pandemic, and apparently they've exhausted all that. In July, New Jersey Transit estimates a $119 million deficit for the next fiscal year. The agency plans to reduce that deficit through $44 million in what they call cost reductions and then $52 million in revenue enhancements, which means digging deeper into your pocket if you use New Jersey Transit. I think it's ridiculous that they're raising their prices. One, they don't even have the proper times. I, I work in the city and I don't get af- out till after midnight and I can't even get a train home. So the fair hikes are all about closing that remaining gap so they can fix what's wrong. I just think that they need to raise the, you know, the quality of the service to, in order to... Before they get more money from you. Exactly, exactly. Punctuality. <laughs> yeah, I, I hope they're always on time and don't cancel the train without any, you know, like... Uh, advanced warnings and it's just we oftentimes got that yeah uh, that's one of the biggest complaints is that they're terrible at notifying people even through their app when trains don't show up on time or when they're not going to show up at all at the train station in summit new jersey a family that was there getting ready to get on a train into the city they say this proposed 15 percent increase would add about 50 to 80 dollars to the monthly commuting costs for her and her husband. That's a lot of money. Uh, New Jersey Transit going to hold 10 scheduled public hearings in 10 New Jersey counties, including both morning and evening sessions beginning in March uh, through uh, uh, March 4th through March 8th. And that's where you'll get a chance to say that you don't want these fair hikes. And then what usually happens is they just go ahead and do them anyway. 510, let's go down to Washington. Republicans accusing the Biden administration of trying to ram through a flawed international aid package that includes border security. Senator Ted Cruz says if there's no policy changes, this bill will be just dead on arrival. This supplemental bill is a kamikaze plane in a box canyon with no exit headed for a train wreck. The bill reportedly will grant humanitarian parole to 5,000 illegal immigrants a day. The GOP says that's a magnet that'll just draw more people to the border. This bill normalizes 5,000 people a day coming in. 5,000 people a day is over 1.8 million a year. And Cruz- that's called an invasion. Sorry about that, Senator. Senator says they don't want to make any changes. The Democrats, he says, that's the problem here. Negotiating with Chuck Schumer on securing the border is like putting Hannibal Lecter in charge of a go-vegan ad campaign. <laughs> okay. The uh, latest polling, by the way, shows that President Biden's approval levels on immigration have fallen to their lowest ever. Border hawks 
Well, they're not surprised by that poll at all. High percentages of the American public, including of Democrats, cannot stand what, what's going on at the border. Tom Bensman there is with the Center for Immigration Studies, which argues for lower immigration numbers. The rate of the illegal border crossings hit a record in December, but they've been dropping since New Year's. It's mostly because winter and freezing temperature have hit South Texas, and that has kept migrants from trying to get across the border. Out on the uh, campaign trail, the race for the White House 2024, it sure seems like it's come down just to Joe Biden and Donald Trump. The United Auto Workers yesterday endorsing President Biden's reelection campaign. I kept my commitment to be the most pro-union president ever. I'm proud you have my back. Let me just say I'm honored to have your back and you have mine. That's the deal. Biden thanking the labor group for the boost of support as he gears up for a likely rematch against former President Trump in November. Biden told UAW workers that he's focused on fundamentally changing the economy to give working Americans what he calls a fair shot. UAW President Sean Fain, meanwhile, did not hold back in his criticism of Donald Trump while announcing the Biden endorsement. The previous administration was content to sit in the sidelines and let China take all these jobs. But I won't let that happen. I'm proud to stand up here and announce that the UAW is endorsing Joe Biden for president of the United States. Sean Fain going after Donald Trump says he's never been supportive of the unions and that Joe Biden has been. If Donald Trump ever worked in an auto plant, he wouldn't be a UAW member. He'd be a company man trying to squeeze the American worker. He wanted to do a rotation so union auto workers would be begging for their jobs back at lower pay. He wanted to put the race to the bottom on steroids to screw the American working class. And that endorsement coming yesterday is the Biden campaign just gearing up for the general election rematch between Biden and Donald Trump. Donald Trump has all but locked up the GOP nomination and the election-denying anti-freedom MAGA movement has completed its takeover of the Republican Party. Biden's campaign manager, Julie Chavez Rodriguez, says American voters now face two very different visions for the country, accusing Trump of carrying out a campaign of focused on revenge and retribution. Donald Trump is running a campaign of revenge and retribution. I think I just said that. That threatens American democracy and our fundamental freedoms. They have happily endorsed his pledges to undermine American democracy and take away the freedom to choose, to grow our economy from the middle class, and to live in communities safe from gun violence. Of course, the Republicans rallying around Donald Trump as he seeks a second term in office. The latest to make an endorsement is Senator John Cornyn. He's from Texas. He says his number one priority, and he thinks Donald Trump's number one priority, is the border. There is a huge difference between the number of border crossings that we saw during the Trump administration compared to the Biden administration. And he says four more years of the Biden White House domestic policies would make the world a whole lot more dangerous. None of the laws have changed. It's simply the willingness, or in the case of the Biden administration, the unwillingness to actually enforce the law. Senator Cornyn citing Trump's first term accomplishments, including the confirmation of 234 federal judges and three members of the Supreme Court. And an investigation is underway into the use of deep fake technology to mimic President Biden's voice in a robocall to New Hampshire voters this week. Experts who have heard it say it shows there are some limits to the technology. You can tell that it's basically a, a deep fake and it doesn't take a lot of training to sort of figure that out. 
University of Texas, San Antonio, Professor Max Kilger there says the technology is getting better and it's easier than ever to, of course, to access. So he predicts we'll see more of these deep fakes as we inch closer to the presidential election. When it start to speak, you'd miss maybe the first fraction of a second as it, it spoke. And the cadence actually was fairly artificial. But yeah, that's what I've noticed as well. The cadence is artificial, and that's how you can usually tell. But there are people who faked out by all this. And it doesn't take a lot of skill or expertise to generate them. There are a large number of deep fake tools out there on the Internet. And they will only get better. All right, 515. Let's head over to the 77 WABC Sports Desk. Happy Friday Eve. Good morning, Justin Ellick. Happy Friday Eve. Good morning to you, Noam Layden. Big waves coming out of the NCAA yesterday with the news dropping that Jim Harbaugh is leaving the national champion Michigan Wolverines to coach the NFL's Los Angeles Chargers, the team announced yesterday. Harbaugh's deal is for five years, sources told ESPN's Adam Schefter. Harbaugh was considered among the most desirable candidates in this coaching cycle because of his success in both the college and professional levels since his head coaching career began in 2006 at the University of San Diego. Harbaugh has had success at Stanford and Michigan and in the NFL with the San Francisco 49ers. To boot, there's Harbaugh's Chargers connection. He played quarterback for the team for two seasons in 1999 and 2000. As a collegiate coach, Harbaugh has a 144-42 and record, winning three Big Ten championships and Michigan's first national title since 1997 this past season. There was no local uh, NBA action for us last night, but we'll get our fix today with Knicks and Nets both getting set to return to the court. Both tipping off at 7.30 p.m. at home, the Nets will welcome in the Minnesota Timberwolves while the Knicks host the Denver Nuggets. Finally, no action to get to locally from last night in the NHL either, but the Islanders and Devils will have us covered tonight. Up in Montreal, the Islanders will face off with the Canadians at 7 p.m. before the Devils drop the puck in Carolina against the Hurricanes at 7.30. That's Sports Now, and I'm Justin Ellick on 77 WABC. WABC News Time 517. The Dallas Mother who was at the center of a high-profile abortion case in Texas last month. She's been invited now to the State of the Union address in Washington. Kate Cox received a state court order that would have allowed her doctors to end her non-viable pregnancy. But that ruling was overturned by the Texas Supreme Court. The mother of two ultimately traveled out of state for the procedure. Cox has accepted an invitation to be a guest of First Lady Dr. Jill Biden at the State of the Union address. Democrats are making abortion a key issue in the upcoming elections later this year. I'm Brian Shook. All right, let's go out to Arizona. Arizona Republican Party Chair Jeff DeWitt announcing that he's going to step down. In a statement released Wednesday, DeWitt claims he was set up after audio was leaked of him appearing to bribe Arizona Republican Kerry Lake to not run for U.S. Senate. He accused Lake of orchestrating the situation in order to have a grasp on the state's party. The Daily Mail was first to report on audio from last March of a conversation between Lake and DeWitt. It purportedly featured DeWitt saying that powerful people from back east would like to put Lake on the payroll of some company to keep her out of the Senate race. I'm at Mattinson. Doorbell cameras used for all kinds of things. Now a pilot program aimed at helping domestic violence and human trafficking victims by offering them free doorbell cameras. A pilot program aimed at helping domestic violence and human trafficking victims by offering them free doorbell cameras is expanding to Miami-Dade County. Florida Attorney General Ashley Moody says the doorbells can be used as evidence in court. Survivors seek protection, and this will give them protection outside 
of a simple piece of paper, an injunction. It will give them a better assurance that there are eyes on their doors. Project Protect is being launched in the state's most populous county. I'm so proud uh, as the Attorney General to announce this service here in Miami-Dade County that will provide free doorbell cameras to survivors of domestic violence and human trafficking and sexual violence. If a victim has this additional assurance of a video at their home, it will make them feel so much more safe. Florida ranking third in the country with human trafficking cases. I'm Bob Brown for 77 WABC News. WABC News Time 519. Several elite colleges settling now on over $100 million lawsuit over price fixing. Five of them, Columbia, Yale, Duke, Emory, and Brown, have agreed to pay out over $104 million to settle the lawsuit. They're part of a group accused of violating a so-called need-blind agreement connected to student aid. Originally filed in January of 2020, The class action lawsuit accuses 17 private universities of scheming by fixing financial aid package sizes. All of the schools were part of the 568 Presidents Group, an organization that standardized need-blind financial aid. The lawsuit alleges about 200,000 students were overcharged throughout the course of two decades. WABC News Time 520. Let's go overseas. A Russian transport plane filled with Ukrainian war prisoners crashed close to the Ukrainian border, killing everybody on board in Moscow. Correspondent Daria Bronchek says authorities accuse Kiev of a planned attack on that plane. The Il-76 airplane that crashed near Belgorod on Wednesday carried six crew members, three accompanying persons and 65 captured Ukrainian servicemen that were being transported for an exchange with Ukraine. The ministry says a prisoner swap of 192 Ukrainians for 192 Russians was supposed to take place on the border in the Belgorod region. After the incident, the official added prisoner exchanges with Ukraine might be put on pause. Daria Bandarchuk, Moscow. All right, the top Republican, meanwhile, in the Senate is calling for more aid to Ukraine in its war with Russia. It's in our interest to help blunt aggressive behavior before it triggers wider conflict and directly threatens our closest allies and trading partners. Senate Minority Leader Chuck uh, Mitch McConnell there says uh, backing Ukraine is about cold, hard American interests. He says it's in America's interest to degrade Russia's military any way we can. It's in our interest to help degrade the military of a major adversary without committing American lives to the effort. McConnell says the U.S. must stop Russian aggression as soon as they can. Accelerating Russian defeat in Europe is precisely what will help ensure we don't wind up dealing with simultaneous aggression from adversaries in Europe and the Indo-Pacific. And uh, the Israel-Hamas war will go from one to the other, raging on in the Gaza Strip. In Tel Aviv, correspondent Matt Bradley says a major question has to be answered by those countries supporting Israel. Whether or not this conflict will actually spill over the borders of Israel into the rest of the region, back to the Gaza Strip. Israel says it's intensifying operations around the region's second largest city. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu says yesterday his forces will continue fighting until they've reached absolute victory. The U.S. also said it conducted strikes on Tuesday against militia facilities in Iraq. So it's just a mess all over the Middle East. We're seeing the IDF, the Israeli Defense Forces, surrounding uh, the city of Han Yunus and going in and surrounding, it looks like, a Nasser hospital. We saw them striking Qatar Hezbollah in Iraq. 
a group that is distinct from Hezbollah in Lebanon, but one that is still backed by neighboring Iran. And those attacks taking place as the president, President Biden, facing growing demands to call for a ceasefire in the Israel-Hamas war. Obviously, the president has is aware of, of what's happening and how people feel. White House Press Secretary Corinne Jean-Pierre says the president respects the rights of Americans to speak out and be heard as long as it's peaceful. Protesters interrupted Biden's campaign speech on abortion rights about a dozen times on Tuesday. The president believes that Americans have the right to speak out, make their voice heard, uh, as long as they do it peacefully. And so we we respect that. And the White House has resisted calls for a general ceasefire and has instead pushed for humanitarian pauses in fighting to allow the release of hostages held by Hamas and humanitarian aid to flow into the Gaza Strip. A Jewish advocacy group Backed by New England Patriots owner Robert Kraft, they plan now to buy an ad and run it during the Super Bowl on February 11th. Kraft said in a statement, the Foundation to Combat Anti-Semitism ad is aimed at bringing viewers of all backgrounds together to stand up against prejudice and hate against Jews. The group got started in 2023 and has committed more than $200 million towards fighting anti-Semitism. The 30-second spot marks the second year in a row an ad related to religion is appearing during the Super Bowl. Two Christian-based ads with the message of he gets us ran during last year's Super Bowl. I'm Brian Shook. I talk about this story with Frank on his overnight show, the Supreme Court, declining to stop the nation's first execution by nitrogen hypoxia. It's scheduled to take place in Alabama tomorrow. The state Supreme Court gave the go-ahead after Kenneth Eugene Smith requested the method. He's serving on death row for the 1988 murder of Elizabeth Sennett in Colbert County. An attorney for Smith asked the 11th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals to block the execution, arguing the untested method may violate the Constitution's ban on cruel and unusual punishment. I'm Lisa Taylor. Let's bring it back home. A Long Island cookie wholesaler linked to the death of a New York woman with a peanut allergy is throwing the blame at Stu Leonard's, the grocery chain. This after Stu Leonard's blamed Cookies United in Islip for not listing peanuts as among the ingredients for its Florentine cookies. But the baking manufacturer says it informed the supermarket chain about the change last summer and that the product left its facility with peanuts listed on its packaging before it went to Stu Leonard's locations in Connecticut, where the packaging was changed. A recall is out in Connecticut for the cookies, which were sold between November 6th and December 31st. Meanwhile, fans of Knott's Berry Farm brand jam and cookies... I guess there's a lot of them out there. We'll no longer be able to find them on store shelves. Maybe not enough of them. The JM Smucker Company confirmed this week that it has discontinued the Knott's grocery brand line of products. The brand's roots go back a century to when Walter and Cordelia Knott opened a berry stand in Southern California, which eventually led to the Knott's Berry Farm theme park being built. JM Smucker took ownership of the grocery store brand in 1998, and it no longer had any connection to the theme park fans still may be able to find the products on store shelves until supplies run out. I'm Mark Mayfield. Eagle player Jason Kelsey explaining the reaction he got from taking off his shirt during the Chiefs game in Buffalo against the Bills on Sunday. The Philadelphia Eagles Center said he was warned by his wife to be on his best behavior. I've been told that as well before, and apparently he just wasn't. The moment we got into the suite, I said, I'm taking my shirt off and I'm jumping out of that suite. And she said, Jason, don't you dare. It was Jason's first time meeting Taylor Swift, who's dating his brother, and Jason's wife wanted him to make a good first impression. Don't know 
if he did. Meantime, Jason's shirtless antics in the freezing cold as he mingled with Bill's fans, of course, went viral. No doubt you probably saw it. Let's take a look at Wall Street. The opening bell, it rings this morning on Wall Street after stocks close mix on Wednesday. The closing bell, the Dow fell 99 points. The S&P 500 rose four. The Nasdaq jumped 56 points. We got a lot more to get to as we work our way up six o'clock hour. Sid and friends in the morning will tell you why Queen's prosecutors stood in shock in a courtroom yesterday. Cops still not totally sure how a head and body ended up in a Brooklyn freezer. Who's to blame for a cookie that killed a woman and a kid goes missing in a Bronx school? We'll go to those stories and more right after this. Talk Radio 77 WABC. It's the 77 WABC News Hour. Talking the news with Noah Layden. All the news you need to know with Joe Nolan, Traffic, Justin Ellick, Sports. And now, talking the news with Noah on 77 WABC. Yep, that's me. Good morning. It is Thursday, January 25th. Your forecast from the Ramsey Mazda Weather Center. Rain this morning and then again this afternoon. Going to be warmer than it should be. The high 52 tonight and overnight. Showers low 43, and then Friday we'll have morning rain and a cloudy afternoon, the high 46. If you are walking out the door with us right now, so happy you are. 48 and raining in Riverhead out on Long Island. It is 52 and cloudy in Atlantic City down the Jersey Shore. And it is 45 and kind of misty outside our Midtown studios. We'll start this half hour with a story that sometimes you don't realize how something big is in the newsroom until you walk out of the newsroom. And I always point to the dog park where all these people are in Jersey City where I bring my dog. And some of them know that I work in the news business. And once in a while, there'll be some story they want to know about. So yesterday, it wasn't, you know, that Donald Trump won in New Hampshire. It wasn't that uh, Taylor Swift had that creepy guy show up at her townhouse again. All they wanted to know about, I had at least three people ask me this yesterday. What's up with the headless body and the body parts in a freezer in Brooklyn? That's what everybody wanted to know about. And we don't have a whole lot more to tell you, but all day yesterday... Crime scene technicians kept going in and out of this third floor apartment in a residential building in Brooklyn, carrying out brown paper evidence bags in a variety of sizes, as well as cardboard evidence boxes. It was the third day these evidence technicians were at the scene at this home where a head and then body parts were found up in a taped up freezer. A whole bunch of questions surround what took place here. They also found a body, like a whole one, in this apartment as well. And a woman who was fine. Well, she went to the hospital, but she's now fine. So we're trying to piece this all together. More importantly, the NYPD is trying to piece this all together. As neighbors, as you might guess, are just completely freaked out. How could you be in a house like that with um, something like that in your refrigerator? Yeah, so the discovery was one of at least two grisly finds made at this home. Uh, one was the body of a dead man. Then these body parts. This was all around 7 o'clock on Monday that cops stumbled onto this. They went to the apartment to do a wellness check. EMS were called to the scene. They declared this man dead. The woman, they said, was sick, and they took her to the hospital, so cops weren't able to question her right away. But now she is in custody. And again, police still trying to piece together what exactly took place here as neighbors had the same questions. I never 
experienced anything like that. It reminded me of the freaking show Jeffrey Dahmer. Yeah. In the beginning. But I'm hoping it's not what I think it is. So the woman who they found in the apartment has a lengthy rap sheet. So that might suggest she has something to do with what took place here. They think, but they haven't confirmed, the body that was found in the freezer was a drug dealer who went missing a long time ago. She had a lot of fights with people in the building and stuff and had a lot of fights with men's and women's. Yeah, so police have not identified either of these bodies for sure yet, and they say their investigation is ongoing. Out to New Jersey, where it's just still shock and a lot of sadness surrounding the fact that Sheriff Richard Burdnick, who was the sheriff of Passaic County, took his own life Tuesday inside the bathroom of a popular restaurant in Clifton. It's a place where many in law enforcement and politics have gone. It's a Turkish restaurant, have gone to enjoy a meal. By the way, a good Turkish restaurant. So it's not sure why it took place there, but people who worked with the sheriff for years can't really figure it out. They say he seemed like happy-go-lucky and in a good place before he shot himself. He has always been an, abs- been an absolute gentleman, and, and it was a pleasure working with him. Uh, I wish there was something we could have done. The mayor of Patterson, Andre Sea said he had worked with the sheriff for a long time. He said they had a great working relationship. He had seen him the day before he took his own life at a swearing-in session for some officers, and he said he seemed fine. I affectionately refer to Richard Burnick as America's sheriff. He was an exemplary law enforcement leader and a cherished friend. Just an absolute gentleman, always always pleasant to deal with, even when we were on opposite sides of an issue. So let me point out something here. Police officers do have one of the highest rates of suicide in the nation due to their access to guns. Uh, Recently, you'll remember a Bronxville police sergeant killed his family and then turned the gun on himself. Experts say there's usually no signs of trouble. And somebody who works on what's called the Peer Response Committee for New Jersey for the PBA says, uh, you know, these people need to know that there's help out there for them. It's not like uh, you got the radar detector and you came by me at 65 and a 50. Like, you don't know, you can't get in that person's head. No, you can't. And the New Jersey Police Benevolent Association says that there are anywhere from a dozen to 17 cop suicides in New Jersey each year. I was shocked by that number. I did not know it was that high. And most of course, preventable if the officers had just reached out for help. So here's why I give you this important message. If you or someone you know is struggling with thoughts of suicide, there is free confidential help. It's available 24 hours a day, 100% take advantage of it. It's easy enough. You can call or text the National Lifeline at 988, and they have tons of operators there who want to help you out. WABC News Time 538, a bitter blame game playing out now over the death of a 25-year-old woman caused by a mislabeled cookie package. Stu Leonard's supermarket and isolate-based bakeries Cookies United are pointing fingers at one another for the mix-up. Aura Baxendale died from a food allergy reaction after eating a cookie that contained peanuts. The cookie's packaging did not list peanuts as an ingredient. Stu Leonard Jr. says the bakery was to blame for not notifying them that peanuts would be added to the recipe. He spoke out online yesterday. Unfortunately, the supplier changed the recipe and started going from soy nuts to peanuts. And our chief safety officer here at Stu Leonard's 
was never notified. But the bakery pushing back, they even were showing us an email that says it notified Stu Leonard's of the change back in July. The horrible part, the victim from the United Kingdom. She was living in New York and pursuing her dream of becoming a dancer. Shock in a Queens courtroom yesterday. A man charged in the 29 fatal 2019, I should say, fatal shooting of an innocent 14 year old boy playing basketball was expected to plead guilty yesterday. But at the last moment, changed his mind. Sean Brown is an alleged gang member believed to have mistook Amir Griffin for a rival. This was back on October 26, 2019. You might remember this story. I mean, this innocent kid was just playing basketball on the court. He was shot dead. Griffin was at the Baisley Park houses in South Jamaica when he took a bullet and died. The Queen's District Attorney, Melinda Katz, and her team of investigators actually were in court yesterday because they wanted to be there when uh, Sean Brown pled guilty. And then they were shocked when he stood up and the judge asked for a plea. And he said that he instead wanted the case to go to trial in this last minute decision. His lawyer uh, says he changed his mind and decided that he wants to take chances at a trial which had prosecutors, you know, just with their jaws wide open. It's a process, and he's entitled to the process, and he's going to um, take that opportunity. And so here we are. I mean, everybody is entitled to the day in court, and he wants his. Yeah, so he will get his. He'll be tried on two separate indictments, one charging him with first-degree manslaughter and second-degree conspiracy in the case of the shooting death of Griffin, the other second-degree criminal possession of a weapon. DA Melinda Katz, she was in the courtroom yesterday, and she said, okay, if he wants a trial, he'll get a trial. Either way, she says he'll end up behind bars the rest of his life. For the murder of Amir Griffin, Sean Brown is facing 25 years. For carrying a gun, he's facing 15 years. His exposure is 40 years to life. He's chosen to go to trial. We have an extremely strong case. And we look forward to presenting the evidence. I guess he may either believes he's innocent or is taking his chances. The plea deal would have got him 30 years behind bars. He now faces two trials and the possibility of 40 years behind bars. Let's go up to Westchester County, where Congressman Jamal Bowman kicking off his reelection campaign last night, calling on his supporters to help him win a third term, a third term rather, beginning what could be one of the most closely watched and largest funded congressional races in the nation. The two term congressman, he represents New York's 16th district, which includes parts of lower Westchester and just a tiny slice of the Bronx. He's facing a challenge from a fellow Democrat, which is unusual. Westchester County Executive George Latimer, who announced his campaign last month. Uh, lots of people thinking in that district, or I shouldn't say lots, but a fair amount of people in that district think Bowman is too left wing. And what might have pushed some of them over the edge was they think he's anti-Israel. Bowman made his announcement yesterday, last night, flanked by one of the party's most progressive leaders, Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who's out fundraising for Bowman. Here was Bowman last night saying he knows he's fighting back against forces that are strong in their bid to take him out. We weren't doing the right thing if we weren't fighting for justice. If we weren't fighting for freedom and humanity and equality and our children... They would not be coming after us. The congressman says he's been an outspoken member of the party's progressive wing, proudly, by the way, and that he's made it a priority to fight for some of the district's most historically underserved communities. Let's go out to Long Island. A five-month-old Italian greyhound, a dog named Obi, 
died after a mishap at a training boarding kennel on Long Island. A pipe burst overnight in this training facility called Canine Mania Dog Training in Deer Park. And the water that came out was shooting at this dog, Obi's cage, for five hours. There's video of it. I don't suggest watching it. I did. And you see essentially how the dog drowns because he tries to fight it off for a while and then just lies down in the cage and passes away. Of course, the dog's owner's devastated. And eventually... He went into shock after, you know, fighting for hours, and he laid down in the crate and passed away there. Yeah, the surveillance video captured the incident. His owners, Miranda Wazell and Vincent Pandone, who are from Belmore, uh, have Obi's collar, his ashes to remember him by. It's really hard to even fathom that he's not here anymore. Just it's unimaginable. It's just a living nightmare. He was going to be trained to be a service dog to help Miranda with her um, PTSD and trauma, and just to have that ripped away all at once was terrible. I will point out the company's owner who owns this training facility, his name is Elliot Rosenberg. He fa- was the one who walked in the next morning to find Obi's lifeless body. He sounds just as devastated as that couple does. He says an employee forgot to shut off the water overnight, and that led to this pipe burst, which killed Obi. I came, um, I came and saw Obi immediately, you know. You know, picked him up, turned off the water, um, and then called my manager. And Rosenberg says he's made changes since the puppy's death, like installing flood sensors and requiring two workers to close the facility and monitor cameras instead of just one. Uh, Obi's owners, well, it's not enough for them. They're both Hofstra law students, and now they're suing. We just hope that no one has to go through anything even close to this. Yeah, horrendous story. All right, 545, let's head over to the 77W ABC Sports Desk and Justin Ellick. Thank you, Noam. Letting big waves coming out of the uh, NCAA yesterday with news dropping that Jim Harbaugh is leaving the national champion Michigan Wolverines to coach the NFL's Los Angeles Chargers, the team announced yesterday. Harbaugh's deal is for five years, sources told ESPN's Adam Schefter. Harbaugh was considered among the most desirable candidates in this coaching cycle because of his success in both the college and professional levels. Since his head coaching career began in 2006 at the University of San Diego, Harbaugh has had success at Stanford and Michigan and in the NFL with the San Francisco 49ers. To boot, there's Harbaugh's Chargers connection. He played quarterback for the team for two seasons in 1999 and 2000. As a collegiate coach, Harbaugh has a 144-42 and record, winning three Big Ten championships and Michigan's first national title since 1997. What was he making in Michigan, do we know? Uh, millions, for sure. I always wonder, like, I, look, he can do whatever he wants, but I would think it'd be a whole lot more fun to coach college kids than it would to be professionals. And so then it's just all about salary, I guess, after that. No? Yeah, and I think uh, I think you, you're more of a coach in college, yeah. right? You're more of a leader of, of young men. Uh, you know, a lot of times in the NFL, like, especially with uh, some of these young coaches, they're players. I mean, in very, very rare cases, but they're players on some of these teams that are older than their head coaches. Yeah. So, it, you know, I mean, in that sense, it's like, are you, you, how can you really look up, I mean, to somebody? I mean, it's a, not that you can't do it, but it's a little bit more difficult as opposed to somebody who's, uh, you know, uh, a little bit more senior. Yeah. Not then, too old. I don't want to get too old here, but there's like a sweet spot, you know. And uh, I think if uh, if you're coaching NFL guys, I mean, these are grown these are grown men. It's much, much different. So. Yeah. I, I think it would, uh, whatever. He could do whatever he wants. I would yeah. just think it would be more fun to coach college. I'm kids. with you. I think you get more out of it in college, for sure. For sure. More fulfillment, if you will. 
Uh, no local NBA action for us last night, known, but we'll get our fix today with the Knicks and Nets both getting set to return to the court, uh, both tipping off at 7.30 at home. The Nets will welcome in the Minnesota Timberwolves. The Knicks will host the Denver Nuggets. Finally, no action to get to locally from last night in the NHL either, but the Islanders and Devils will have us covered tonight. Up in Montreal, the Islanders will face off with the Canadians at 7 before the Devils drop the puck in Carolina against the Hurricanes at 7.30. That's Sports Gnome, and I'm Justin Ellick on 77 WABC. Let's catch you up on some of the bigger stories of the morning. Bullets flying last night in New Jersey. A man wanted in connection with a 2022 robbery inside a Brooklyn church, shot dead by U.S. Marshals who were trying to arrest him in South Brunswick. His name is Shamar Legette, 41 years old. He was wanted in connection for the robbery of Bishop Lamore Whitehead. You might remember this crime. It took place in Brooklyn as Bishop Whitehead was holding a church service. In fact, it was being live streamed. This was July of 2022 in Brooklyn. And as he was live streaming this church service, these three men came in with guns and stole all kinds of money and and harassed him, his wife and his young kid. And it was all there for the live stream. Now, two of the three people involved in this crime have already been caught. Now, as you heard, Shamar Legette killed last night. The bishop weighing in all this as he live streamed this last night. And now the third suspect is dead. What sense does that mean? It's so senseless. And this was the guy that put the gun in my wife's face and put the gun in my eight-month-old daughter's face. So this is the guy that was at large, and he came and put the gun to my head and ripped my clergy collar off and ripped my chains off, and he was just... Brutal. At the time, two suspects were quickly arrested and charged federally. Police released this image of Legette, and now they have caught up with him. You might not be surprised to see uh, here that he has a rap sheet, served two sentences in state prison for robbery and attempted murder before he went into this live stream church service and harassed Bishop Whitehead, his wife and his young daughter. The NYPD arresting and charging a 23-year-old man now. In connection to the rape of a 10-year-old girl that took place just a couple weeks ago, Dracon Drayton Howard, charged with rape, sex abuse, and endangering the welfare of a child, a crime that has just shocked this neighborhood. That's horrible. I mean, really, it's unbelievable. I can't believe that. For that to happen to her like that is ridiculous. The rape took place in Harlem. Police say Drayton Howard allegedly met the 10-year-old online through Bumble. If you're not familiar with Bumble, it's a dating app. How she got onto the dating app, of course, that's a big question as well. They met at a apartment on 3rd Avenue and East 122nd Street. Drayton Howard accused of raping her and then fleeing the scene. First of all, the man know better. He knows better. He knew it was a child no matter what app she was on. He deserves whatever he gets. Of course, everybody asking the question, why was a 10-year-old girl on Bumble? How was she able to download it, put up a picture nobody knows any of those answers for sure you gotta keep an eye on the kids what they're watching what they're doing what they're reading what they're looking into can't trust nobody these days took a while to catch up with drayton howard well two weeks anyway it all comes from the surveillance camera photo that the police released and someone gave them a tip neighbors living along the passaic river in patterson in new jersey may be getting some way overdue relief from flooding there the city of patterson is taking new action to try and prevent flooding mayor andre saya says the city has applied for a federal grant to help build a giant wall along part of the passaic river to help it from spilling into neighborhoods you build this wall behind an area that is prone to flooding and it's it would get us to halfway where where we need because there's 
there's going to be more flood walls that we have to build. People living on the north side of the city say they need a wall, too. Meantime, officials are hopeful if it gets approved, the wall could go up by the end of the year. I'm Bob Brown for 77 WABC News. New Jersey transit commuters, riders getting some news they don't want to hear. They're going to raise fares by 15 percent come July 1. And an additional 3% every year. The fare hike on buses and trains would be the first since Governor Murphy took office six years ago. New Jersey Transit saying they're struggling with the significant drop in ridership since the pandemic in early 2020. Ridership just not recovering to what they thought it was, only to about 80% of what it was pre-pandemic. Of course, lots of people able to work from home. So that means they've lost about $2 billion in fare revenue. And guess who they want to collect it from? Yeah. You. It's upsetting because that's going to affect my travel. I'm probably going to ask friends for rides or, I don't know, maybe take an Uber. They should have better train service on time. A lot, of, a lot of delays. New Jersey Transit received billions of dollars in federal aid during the pandemic. They've ripped through that. None of that left. In July, New Jersey Transit estimates a $119 million deficit for the next fiscal year. The agency says they'll reduce the deficit through $44 million in cost reductions. They didn't define what that was. And $52 million in revenue enhancements, which includes that fare hike. I think it's ridiculous that they're raising their prices. One, they don't even have the proper times. I, I work in the city and I don't get out till after midnight and I can't even get a train home. Yeah, but uh, so they'll do these hearings where you'll get to weigh in. It won't amount to much, but uh, people will complain. I just think that they need to raise the, you know, the quality of the service to, in order to... Before they get more money from you. Exactly, exactly. Punctuality. <laughs> yeah, I, I hope they'll always on time and don't cancel the train without any, you know, like... Uh, advanced warnings and just we oftentimes got that yeah that is one of the biggest complaints that they'll cancel trains they'll be delayed and for whatever reason it won't show up on the app well we get that from our own james flippin who commutes that way he says sometimes it doesn't show up on the app no warning of what's going to take place riders who were on a platform in summit yesterday a husband and wife figure with this 15 percent increase it'll add 50 to 80 dollars to their monthly commuting costs that's a lot of money so new jersey transit going to hold 10 scheduled public hearings in march where you get to weigh in and as this is always the case with these hearings you'll get to speak and then new jersey transit will do whatever the hell it wants to do which means raise those fares mayor adams discussing ways to make new york city more affordable boost the economy maintain in public safety, all part of his State of the City address yesterday. In 2024, our housing agency will advance 24 development projects on public sites to create or preserve over 12,000 units. Yeah, he's talking about more affordable housing there. He's also calling for a crackdown on illegal cannabis shops, hate crimes, a designated social media public health crisis that he says he wants to address as well. We'll also launch a new tenant protection cabinet to help more people stay in the homes they already have and expand our homeowner help desk pilot, which connect homeowners with resources and counseling not a lot here on the migrant crisis, but he did say he's going to reach out to the feds for help again. Of course, what he's done in the past has not worked out so well. But we need others to do their part. The federal government must step up and step in. This is a national crisis that calls for a national solution. And he's also saying social media is a public health crisis for kids. I wouldn't even totally argue with him on that. Officially designated social media as a public health crisis 
has it in New York City. Yeah, so he's just going to do something about that as well. well. We'll end with this story. Thankfully, it ended okay. A Bronx mother says her three-year-old son went missing while at school at Belmont Head Start in the Bronx. Navisha Parsons uh, shows up at the school to pick up her kid, and they can't find him. <laughs> you can't make this stuff up. So they didn't know where he was. So they searched all over, and thank God they found him. So I went into the office, and I sat down, and that's when they told me that um, he had wandered out of the classroom. And when the teacher realized he was missing, they called downstairs to the office, and they all went looking for him in the building. And that's when they found him in the basement of the school. Yeah, so she says she doesn't even know that he knows how to walk stairs or would be able to find the basement. So she has a ton of questions that the school so far has been unable to answer. Oh, the camera system is down. Oh, somebody's coming to fix the cameras. Oh, we're not a part of the investigation. The higher-ups are in part of the investigation. Yes, yeah, so she wants an incident report. They have not given her one. The program says they will submit a corrective action plan, as they call it, to make sure something like that doesn't happen again.